Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates for hour number three. Glad you're with us across the network. Outkick 360 live from 6th and Peabody. Yeehaw beer, old smoky moonshine. Getting you into the weekend. If you've never been here at the facility, the distillery, everything is right here on site, right behind Music City Center. We're right across the street from the Omni Hotel. Come see us. You can check out the Outkick 360 studios and the great venue here at 6th and Peabody. Going to be quite the venue tomorrow night, Chad. Ole Miss, Tennessee. Tennessee delivered delivered in the black jerseys. Uh, With that uh, build up to that game, it is going to be a packed house Saturday night uh, for Tennessee and Ole Miss. Checker Neyland game, return of Lane Kiffin. Uh, Our next guest is going to tell us that this game has nothing to do with the return of Lane Kiffin, but with a lot of fans, it has something to do with it. It's going to be a great atmosphere in Knoxville, a place that's been starving for an atmosphere like they're going to get for this game at night. Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com joins us as we kick off the Tennessee Power Hour. Balls and Rebels coming your way tomorrow. And uh, Brent will be on the call with the Vol Network as well as uh, holding down great coverage at VolQuest.com. Brent, hope you're doing well. I am. I'm doing well, and uh, probably a little bit of moonshine consumed tomorrow night at Neyland Stadium, right? Um, or outside or around somewhere. I mean, th- this place is a buzz, um, and, and there's a lot of people excited. I think there's some people that are like, you know, I've been here before, I've got excited before, and I've been let down. Can, can this team go out and deliver when, when the table is set the way it's set for, for everybody tomorrow night? I, I can't wait to see the, the pace of play in this game, and just the the up-and-down, uh, fast-break approach that both offenses take. Let's start with Tennessee and what you've seen from the last two weeks. Wins against Missouri, wins against South Carolina, and and now facing the Ole Miss defense that is known for giving up some yards as well. What are your thoughts on Tennessee as they go into this matchup offensively? Well, Tennessee's been able to get people open all year long. The difference the last two weeks is they've connected. Uh, and, and they've tightened up on the mistakes. They've limited the mistakes. You go back into the Florida game, and it was double-digit penalties uh, that, that cost them dearly in that game. You go back to the Pittsburgh game, it was the turnovers, uh, the overthrows. Uh, the last two weeks, Tennessee's made the play when the play's been there to be made, and I think that's the biggest difference. They've, they've not shot themselves in the foot with mistakes, and, and they've capitalized on the opportunities. We know Ole Miss is going to give Tennessee opportunities tomorrow night, can this team continue to play clean, continue to capitalize the, the way that they have been? If they do, then Tennessee's offense should hum along pretty well. Um, and I think you know they're going to be healthier on the offensive line. Of course, there's uh, some question marks about Tyon Evans, what he's going to be able to do. It's to my understanding that he rehabbed pretty aggressively on the side today with some running and some cutting, and it's going to be about kind of pain tolerance, pain management, and how effective he can be pushing off that ankle tomorrow. But he's going to give it a go in warm-ups, and we'll see from there. But, but to the point, 
this offense is humming along because they are not they don't they're not being they don't have the self-inflicted wounds that they had early in the year. Brent, I don't think there's any way that Tennessee would beat Ole Miss without both Tyon Evans and Jabari Small at running back in this game if both were unavailable. If Tyon Evans is not able to go tomorrow against Ole Miss, do you think Tennessee is still capable of beating Ole Miss with Jabari Small being the running back with not a lot of help from a depth standpoint? Capable, yes. Does it make it harder? Absolutely. I think Tyon Evans is clearly the best running back on this roster, the most effective running back on this roster because of his ability to make the home run play. We haven't seen that out of Jabari Small. Jabari Small's had some nice runs, but he's not hes not got as much wiggle to make somebody miss in the open field um, as Tyon Evans has. So capable, yes. I think if Tyon Evans is not effective, can't go, whatever, then I think that puts a lot more on Hendon Hooker's legs to be effective running the football because, um, you know, he will certainly be one of their best running backs if Tyon Evans is not on the field. And that's not a knock on Jabari Small. I just think Evans is really a lot more dynamic than Jabari Small has been to this point. How back is Cooper Mays? And uh, had he been healthy for this whole run, how much more of a – entire smooth operation might this thing be at this stage well i mean they scored 56 points in the first two quarters the last two weeks so i you know some would say they haven't missed cooper a whole lot against those last two teams that they sure. played you know but if cooper mays is on the field they have their five best offensive linemen on the field and, and he's going to be back and give it a go i, I think that you know the question is will the ankle hold up you know he re-aggravated it early in that florida game can he get, you know, not have that situation happen? He's better, I think, than he was going into the Florida game. He's further along. Um, and, and so he'll, you know, he's going to do everything he can to the last four quarters. We'll see how well he holds up. To answer your question, Paul, they play faster when Cooper's out there. I, I think that the tempo's better with him out there. He gets things set. Carvin has improved in that in, in the last two weeks a good bit, but they're still faster with Cooper. And Carvin's a better guard than he is center. So you're making yourself better across the board if, if Cooper plays because you have your best center on the field and then you've got your best guard on the field at his natural position in Jerome Carvin. Brent, how, how refreshing is it for you covering this program to see Tennessee on the other side of, of the transfer benefit? And what I mean by that, as we've seen in the past where guys have transferred from Tennessee and gone on to do big things at, at other places, Hendon Hooker, Javante Payton are the two examples I'm going to bring right now. The amount of production that Tennessee's getting out of those guys, how nice is it to see Tennessee benefit from that and make a player a lot better within their program the way Heupel's been able to do in year one? Well, it's what you're hoping when you take a transfer. I mean, you know, you're not taking a guy just to add a number. I mean, we saw, we saw the previous staff do that with a couple of guys, and it was really not needed, you know, when you take a quarterback and a running back and give up two scholarships for a couple of guys and, and who, who just aren't effective for you. Uh, you know, th these are guys that, that Josh Heupel, as you mentioned, are making better. They're getting comfortable in this offense. Um, flip it on the other side, where's Tennessee last week without Brandon Turnage? I mean, what do they even do at nickel last week if they don't have Brandon Turnage on this roster? And then he goes out as the SEC player of the week. So they have benefited well from the portal. Some other guys that they've taken from the portal haven't been as big of a factor. Um, that's the risk of the portal. 
Uh, you got to be very careful, and, and I don't think you can build a roster through the portal. I think you can selectively plug some holes in the portal, and it can make a big difference. Hendon Hooker is the best example of that. But I don't think you can sit around and say, okay, we're going to roster build with 10 transfers because I don't think you hit on as many of them as you would think. But they've hit on a couple that's made this offense a lot different. Javante Payton, four touchdowns, four weeks. And then obviously the play of Hendon Hooker. Everybody at Virginia Tech right now is going, what the heck? You know, we, 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 why don't we have him? Why, why didn't he play like that here? It's a credit to Heupel. It's a credit to Hendon Hooker. And it's the transfer transfer portal working the way everybody wants it to work when they take a transfer. Brent Hubbs, his coverage is the best on the Tennessee Volunteers, so is VolQuest.com. Picking up on, well, on Chad's refreshing theme, a discussion we had earlier this week, it's been refreshing that Heupel has not yet, at least I, I don't recall him, hitting home the messaging of, oh, just wait until we get our guys. We, we, we need a year to get settled, and then we're really going to you know, show that patience is a virtue. It's been the opposite. He's been coaching the guys that he had. You mentioned it, Brent. Even games where they've lost, he's been able to scheme plays open. Uh, the Florida game comes to mind with the fourth down drop, the pit game with all the overthrows. I mean, guys have been open within this offense, and it's clear that he also doesn't just avoid the run game either, which is also refreshing from a high-powered offense. Well, I mean, look, they've not been perfect. Okay, they, they busted some stuff, and obviously from a coaching standpoint, they, they've made some mistakes. I, I don't like shotgun on fourth and short. You know, that's yeah. a philosophy thing I don't necessarily agree with. Um, you know, that they've got a bunch of missed assignments that they're still trying to clean up. They've had some special teams debacles. They had to take a timeout last week because they only had 10 men on the field. They played a punt return at Florida with nine men. So I don't, I don't want to say this staff has been perfect, but you can't look at this team through six games and question whether or not they're a well-coached football team. And, and I say that because they're a football team that this staff offensively has gotten people open. Defensively, they've exceeded everybody's expectations because we didn't have any expectations to start. And you look at this team now, and this is always a good thing. You don't like to lose, but you always like to go, you, if you're a fan, you like to look back and go, boy, I'd like to have another shot at them. What would Tennessee do to Pittsburgh if they got to play them right now? With where this team has grown the last four weeks compared to where they were against Pittsburgh. So I think the refreshing thing for fans is they're seeing a football team that's getting better, which means generally you got a well-coached football team. Yeah, no doubt. And Chad, uh, I'd like to see Tennessee take on Pitt with Hendon Hooker at quarterback. Yeah, and that, that's been you know a big part of this, obviously, Bren, is, is Hendon Hooker him coming into the lineup and how much better he's been than Joe Milton. I think everyone can see Joe Milton and see the physical traits and see what Josh Heupel was thinking with that. But there's something to be said for play caller and coach being on the same page with the quarterback. And, and Hendon Hooker has shown a lot of maturity so far, and they just seem to be simpatico. When you look at coach and play caller, and it's the same person person in Josh Heupel, and what Hinton Hooker's been able to do with this offense. Are you seeing and hearing some of the same things with those two? Hang on, I gotta go get my thesaurus. Did you just use simpatico? <laughs> I Is did. That the yes. you just used there? It's a word. Look it up. It's a, it's I know I'm not questioning it. <laughs> no. it's very well done. Um, you know, I, I think the thing that and I think Hendon Hooker, you talk about going back and doing things over. I think if Hendon Hooker had it to do over in the spring. I think he would have been a more aggressive player. And what I mean by that is he had the reputation through 15 
spring practices of being the check down guy, right? I mean, he's the guy who didn't push it down the field, um, you know, didn't throw it necessarily in tighter windows. He was always looking at the check down. Everything was a check down that, that we saw out of him in spring. So the, the narrative became he can't throw it. He can't do what Heupel wants to do because he can't stretch the field. Reality is, if you look at his Virginia Tech days, he stretched the field okay. Then you get into fall camp, red jersey, there's no contact on him. And, and, and the fact is his legs make him a better football player as well. So there were some things in spring and fall camp that didn't allow him to play at his best. Some of it was of his control. Some of it was not. Once you got him in the game and sort of let him play, you saw, hey, there's some stuff here. And then he's grown in confidence with Josh Heupel. I mean, you know, Florida, the Florida game, I thought he went through some progressions that we had not seen the first couple of weeks that he played. Um, you know, the, 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 the play fake he made to the, the, on the touchdown pass to, to, to Javante Payton last week was executed really, really well. Uh, he threw a great ball into Cedric Tillman in a tight window in, in the South Carolina game. So you're seeing him grow in confidence, but he's also taking care of the football. It's fun to watch because they do seem in sync. And, and as you see this offense play faster, you see a Hendon Hooker with more confidence that's allowing him to play faster. It's fun to watch. Also fun is Matt Corral and, and Kiffin's oh, offense yeah. at Ole Miss. We, we, we will discuss Tennessee's plan for Corral uh, straight ahead on the Tennessee Power Hour. We will also get into Lane Kiffin and that dynamic and storyline going into this week in Knoxville. All of that and more with Brent Hubbs of VolQuest.com on Outkick 360. The Tennessee Power Hour rolls on as we preview Tennessee and Ole Miss with Brent Hubbs of VolQuest.com. Brent, 2010. Let's go down memory lane a bit. 2010, <laughs> Lane Kiffin bolts in the darkness for LA from from the pre, the crazy presser where certain people were allowed certain were not, people were not uh to just the rumors swirling that he was going to take the job and then he actually did what do you remember about that saga and about that time frame well i mean the first thing is that from a journalistic standpoint I, I i didn't do a very good job because i was dismissive of it in the afternoon because i never thought the job would fall to lane kiffin uh, at usc and um, from a personal standpoint, my wife had gone to the store and was running some errands, and uh, I was playing a board game, shoots and ladders, with my toddler in the floor uh, when I got word that um, he was gone, and that prompted the um, guys. It's true post on on VolQuest, which still rings, um, still draws reaction today from people. Everybody knows what that post means and what that phrase means on VolQuest, and then you go to campus and. Um, it was really chaotic uh, finding a place to park. I ended up parking in the coach's parking lot before they barricaded it off, which turned out to be a blessing for me in some ways. Uh, you go up the stairwell to the boardroom. There's students. There's people in there uh, that are that are causing a commotion. They have to bring the cops in. Then you have the whole you know press conference deal that that you know is a whole separate show to itself. You can debate. I left that room because once once I realized Kiffin was not going to say anything other than make a statement. There was no point having multiple people from my staff in there. So I left, went outside, started interviewing people, which is when I learned that Ed Orgeron was calling players and telling them not to go to class. Um, and then I ended up getting a security cop to let 
me in the complex because it was cold and my car was stuck because it was barricaded in. I sat in the complex with John Bryce. We wrote all night long. And uh, actually, John interviewed Lane Kiffin between three and four as he left the office to, to head to his house and then obviously to get on a plane and go to L.A. Uh, it was crazy. I mean, it's it's, you know, it's a night that I can write a, a whole book about, yeah. certainly multiple chapters about. Well, I, I'm curious because I remember just here in Nashville, Chad and I were covering this here in Nashville, and you mentioned the scene with students and, and just the uproar from the fan base. You would certainly hear it on the VolQuest message boards, which we were reading all the time, and your updates were by the minute. People were angry, uh, insulted in, in some ways. Others were saying, well, it's his dream job. Anybody would take it. From, from the mentality and the setting then to now, as he goes back to Neyland and all, all of the, I mean, th- there are people that still love Kiffin, despite what the, the fact that he left Tennessee for someone else. What, what do you make of the way he will be received? And is it surprising in a way, given the fact that everything that's happened since Kiffin was there has a lot to do with how he left? Well, it does, but but I mean, I think Tennessee fans, some Tennessee fans view it as it, they were close. You know, it, 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 what's interesting is everybody talks about Kiffin's offense, Kiffin's offense, and they, they were they were good his year here. I mean, he 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 got an offense going that had been you know struggling and fixed a quarterback, but Butch Jones's offenses were more productive. They put up more numbers with Josh Dobbs. But since Kiffin has left. He goes to Alabama. They win. They're successful. Obviously, you're like, as a as a fan, they're like, we could have had the guy, right? I mean, should should have done whatever to keep the guy here. This, that, and the other. Um, and, and so, you know, I think some people were, you know, miss the flamboyance. Um, you know, some people like the Twitter stuff, and some people don't like the Twitter stuff. I, I think the reviews on him Saturday night. Um, I, I think it'll be pretty low key. He's been here before. I think this fan base is more excited about this team, this staff, the direction of things, and the atmosphere that they're that they're trying to achieve Saturday night than they are at about Lane Kiffin coming back to Knoxville. Certainly in this last coaching search, there was a collection of fans that would have liked for Lane Kiffin to have been interviewed for this job. It was never going to happen. But Lane Kiffin is obviously not – he's done his best on Twitter to try to not be Tennessee's villain. He's done some Knoxville interviews through the years. I mean, he's done his best to try to not be the bad guy at Tennessee. And, and some people like that, and some people are just kind of whatever. He's not here. He was here, it's, it, and we move on. I don't think there's the anger towards him uh, that some people want to perceive it out there nationally. Do you think that you know there are some Tennessee fans that there's sort of a yearning there for what could have been? As you said, Brent, people thinking Tennessee was close with Lane Kiffin and a lot of what could have happened – had he not taken the USC job, had it not fallen to him, had he not left. Do you think, and you you covered Lane Kiffin, you know him, is there some legitimate yearning from Lane Kiffin of what could have been at Tennessee had he not left for USC, looking back and thinking, I, I may have had it really well when I was in Knoxville? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, as he's kind of self-reflected and, and aged, and I, I use this term loosely, maybe matured a little bit, Um, you know, he's a guy that realized that this was a pretty good job and this was a pretty good place to live, pretty good place to hang out, pretty good place to coach football. Uh, and and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you see that and it's evident by the fact that he still talks to people in Knoxville. He's maintained some relationships. 
he'll do interviews with with local shows and things like that in Knoxville. So yeah, I mean, I think that does he regret taking the USC job? No, I don't think he does. Does he look back on his time at Tennessee and go, you know what? I, I had it better than I thought I did at the time. I think, yeah, absolutely he does. But if it were to change one thing, it'd probably be those sanctions at USC, which it seems like were the undoing of, of everything, at least in his mind, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, and some things didn't go well out there. They had, I mean, I didn't cover them, but they had the sanctions. They had some other issues. I mean, he walked into a probably a bigger mess than he thought he was walking into. I think the one thing that Tennessee, that he gained from Tennessee that he actually ended up liking was how much people cared here. I think there was, when he was first here, I think he probably thought Tennessee people were a little off their rocker because it mattered so much 365 days a year. I mean, think about it. When you're at USC, how often is USC really important? Okay? I mean, when they're in a championship game, all the celebrities and all the stars are coming out, right? But is there a lot of people hanging, you know, on everything going on with USC year-round with all that's going on in L.A.? No, there's not. Um, So he had not been at a place where the the football program that he was in charge in was the absolute king of the city. And I think it shocked him at first and overwhelmed him to the point I think he thought some people were kind of nutso. But I think as he's continuing on in his coaching career, I think he likes that more, which is why you see him do some of the things he does on Twitter, because I, I think he embraces that part of it much more. I mean, when he landed for the job at Ole Miss and there were people at the airport, he was okay with that. If that would have happened in Knoxville, he would have been like, what third world have I walked into here? That's the difference between Lane Kiffin then and Lane Kiffin now, in my opinion. I give a lot of credit to Josh Heupel because he's quick to point this out whenever he meets with the media about the aggression of this football program is not just on offense. It's a total mindset. Defensively, special teams, everything. They want to play aggressive. They want to score points also. Lost in the shuffle of all this offensive success, Brent, has been Tim Banks and the job he's done as defensive coordinator at Tennessee. This is a defense that clearly knows what they're supposed to do on every single play. They get lined up. They play fast. They play hard. And that's a big part of this that we haven't necessarily seen the last few years what do you think about the job Tim Banks has done? You know, I think he's put his kids in a position to make plays and put his kids in a position to gain confidence. He's not tried to get in the perfect play every play or the perfect alignment every play. You know, Jeremy Pruitt wanted to be in the absolute perfect defense for every snap, which is why he changed things four or five times pre-snap. Sometimes it worked. At, at Auburn, we, we, we saw it firsthand. He, he would get a corner in the right position because he knew what was coming, and it would work flawlessly. Other times it didn't. Guys didn't know where to line up. Georgia State, for example. Um, so I think what Tim Banks has done is he has created confidence for his players by letting them go play. Sometimes simplistic is better. Now, they're not totally simple. I don't mean that. But there, there's some just core fundamental values and that they play by and rules that they play by on defense. And that's the foundation for things, which you have to be when the opponent is playing fast. Now, all that being said, they got a hell of a challenge in front of them tomorrow night because, because Matt Corral is really good. Ole Miss is really good. 
they do a lot of the same things Josh Heupel wants to do. We've seen what Heupel's done to other teams. We've seen what Lane Kiffin has done to other teams. They've got a real challenge going into this game, but they're going into it with more confidence than they've had the last couple of years for sure. Matt Corral, uh, you, you mentioned the challenge that he presents, and, and really it's a quarterback showdown between Hooker and Corral and what we've seen recently from both. Um, it, does stopping Ole Miss's offense, Brent, and not stopping, but just containing, maybe getting a couple stops in this game, does that start with stopping their run game? I, I still think people believe that Kiffin comes out and throws it all over the field, but they've got three or four backs who are, who are capable of moving the chains through their, through their ground attack. Yeah, you've got to stop the ground game. Um, you, you have to. Um, you, you've tried to get, you've got to try to get them into some obvious passing situations. Kiffin's going to take his shots on first down, okay? That's part of it. He'll hit some shots here and there. But if, if you come out and you just let them run the ball on you to try to only stop the passing game, he will absolutely cram it down your throat. He is not afraid to run the football. A lot of people think he is. A lot of people think that that's beneath him or he has that reputation. That is not the case at all. He is very comfortable running the football, and they run it effectively in their system. So Tennessee has to stop the run. They've been good against the run. They weren't good enough against the run last week. I thought South Carolina got in a rhythm last week and, and doing some misdirection stuff. Tennessee's got to tighten some of their, their gap containment up better this week than they did last week. Two quarterbacks with one pick between them. Which pass defense is more equipped – to, to find an interception if there's going to be one here? That may be the million-dollar question. I think Tennessee's secondary is more equipped. I think Matt Corral makes it hard. I, I think when you talk about where he has grown uh, as a quarterback, that's where he's grown. You go back and look at what happened to him at Arkansas a year ago, six interceptions. He was just kind of heaving the ball at times. He's clearly not doing that now. He has greatly progressed as a quarterback. And that's a credit to Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy and how much they have really worked with him and how much better he's gotten in their system. Uh, you need a batted ball, right? You need a ball to squirt through a receiver's hands. You need, you need probably a fluky play. I don't think he's just going to throw it right to you. He's not done that. Neither has Hendon Hooker since he threw one to the safety at Pittsburgh. Can, can he continue to play that way? If you do, you're going to have a really high-efficient offensive game that's going to light up a scoreboard like a pinball machine. So if you were to look right below the the Vol Network booth, is it orange or white in the checkerboard tomorrow? Uh, my son is sitting on that side. He is in an orange section. That's to my right. Um, I think it's white right above me, and it's orange to my left, I think. That's I think awesome. directly below me is white. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's – my alphabet's not real good. What comes after T? Uh, orange. You, you, yeah, you, I think that's the way it goes. Brent, what's the? I think uh, that's the way it goes. This is obviously, you know, we joke about the the checkerboard, but a big setting for a possible big re recruiting weekend. How big is it sure. for Tennessee? Uh, they don't have. They do not have any official visitors in, but they have a bunch of unofficial visitors scheduled to come in uh, from all over the southeast. Um, they've got a couple of young quarterbacks who are supposed to be in, which I think is important. Uh, the big headliner for me is Walter Nolan, even though he's in Knoxville. He was at Texas A&M last week. He probably mm -hmm. had a pretty good time on an official visit there, I would think. So getting him on campus and getting him in this environment, I think, is a big deal. Uh, Deshaun Bishop, who ran wild again last night, he will be over. That's a local kid who's in the class of 23. Um, 
Marcel Reed from there in Nashville is supposed to be here. Another quarterback that I think is uh, certainly a, a, a priority. Tennessee likes him a lot. I think the question is, where is he with Tennessee and, and kind of, you know, college football in general? He, he plays both football and basketball. Everybody sees him as a quarterback. But getting him on campus is a big deal. A bunch of their committed players are going to be here. Uh, they're going to get the uh, the receiver who's committed to East Carolina who was here last week. They're going to get him back here this week. I think that's huge because when you look at this team, guys, that we're all excited about, you know, fans are all excited about where this offense is. Gone next year is Javante Payton, uh, uh, Valus Jones. Cedric Tillman can come back, but we're, we're not seeing a whole lot of emergence from the Jimmy Callaways of the world. Jalen Hyatt showed a pulse last week, but you look at this team and go, where is that receiver production going to be next year? Do those young guys, are they going to really emerge? Are they all still going to be here? they got to go heavy receiver in this class, and they've got to hit on some guys. So I think it's important that they continue on the receiver track in terms of recruiting some guys, and you could see them potentially looking to portal, I think, for a receiver as well. Brent, what does a win over Ole Miss mean for Tennessee right now? Well, I think it's I think it's huge because it, it the buy-in from everybody continues. Okay, and when I say everybody, I mean recruits, fans, uh, everybody in your program. Um, in terms of selling tickets, this town's electric. It's you know they're excited. Uh, I mean, this is a huge opportunity. As I said off the top, the table is set. You know, the table was set against Oklahoma. Tennessee couldn't deliver. Right? Uh, there's been other times where. The moment has been there for Tennessee. They have not been able to capitalize it in front of their home crowd in Neyland Stadium. Can they do that tomorrow night? I, I think if they can, uh, it's going to continue to set this place ablaze. And we, we saw it Wednesday night on ball calls. Um, more calls than we've had, uh, more fans at the si- at, at, on site than we've had all year long. People went from sort of putting their toes in the water to see what these guys are about they're about waist deep right now, and some of them are ready to go into the deep waters. Tennessee's got to get them there because, they, and and to do that, they've got to go play well tomorrow night. All right, so you you just you just showed everyone, told everyone, your alphabet's about as poor as mine. Uh, <laughs> let's let's try to do some addition here. Over under in total points tomorrow. In your predictions uh, take, at Ballquest, what'd you have? I've got the over. I'm taking the over. I think I'm at fifty one forty nine. Okay, something like that. I'm right at a hundred points. I, I just think that. I think Tim Banks has done a great job. I think they haven't had a challenge like this. It's hard for me to not see Ole Miss scoring points. Then I look at Ole Miss giving up 560 (laughs) yards on the ground and and the amount of points they're giving up. It's hard for me to not see Tennessee scoring points. Um, If these two teams play this game, you know, down in the 30s, um, you know, or one team only finishes in the 30s, I I think it's an upset because of of the way these two offenses have been playing. It'll be 34. 31 and it would be considered an old school football game. Yeah, this, is a, this is like 1988 SEC. He, he thinks one team could finish in the 30s, not two. A defensive struggle. Yeah, I mean, right. it was it was just a, a, they just lined up and mashed at each other. Nobody could move the ball. People, I mean, people are astonished of with four minutes without a touchdown at that point. We've got four whole minutes and no one scored. This is amazing. That's, ex- that's exactly right. I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, and that's what's been – that's what made like the second half last week for Tennessee like such the head scratcher and and it's at one point you're like well you know Tennessee's not going to get beat but you're bored because it's like wait a minute 
28 points a quarter. You know, I mean, you go to Missouri, it's like they could score. They they could score at will every possession. It felt like that in the first half last week against South Carolina. You know, can Tennessee do that? Here's another interesting storyline or stat, if you will, for this game. Ole Miss has been outscored in the first quarter in SEC play and the two games they played. They have trailed at the end of the first quarter. Tennessee has been unbelievable in the first quarter. You got a packed house. It's a powder keg. Everybody's waiting to explode. What does that thing look like if that trend continues? If Tennessee starts fast and Ole Miss kind of starts the way they've started the last two weeks, um, it might be hard for a lot of people to hear. I'm not sure anybody can hear Lane Kiffin's whistle at that point, right? <laughs> Brent Hubbs, VolQuest.com, the best in Tennessee coverage and all things athletics on the Hill. Hey, uh, enjoy the game. Enjoy the atmosphere. Have a great broadcast tomorrow. Tell Austin we said what's up, and uh, we will catch up next week. Thanks. All right, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Brent. Brent. Hubs, VolQuest.com. That got me a little more fired up for the game. Uniform combos are in. Tennessee going with the all-orange uniforms. Orange uniform, orange pants, obviously traditional white helmet. Ole Miss going all-white. White top. White bottom, red trim, navy blue helmet, not the uh, powder blue that so many prefer. Navy blue Ole Miss helmet and all white uniforms. I need some powder blue. That's going to be an interesting look on the field side by side. All orange, all white. I'm imagining that not looking great. Um, I don't like the all orange combo personally, Um, especially after going all black last week. I like the orange pants, white uniform combo much better than the all orange. I'm with you. The all orange is dead last on my list of appealing Tennessee uniform. I want some of the light blue. Yeah, the pow- the powder blue Ole Miss uniform. It's powder blue beat. and the red. I mean, the red uniforms for Ole Miss are classic, too. I mean, I like I like their combos and that, that they can put together. Yeah. The light blue is, I, I is awesome. I think these are like the worst options for both. Yeah, I do not like not the all-white uh, Ole Miss look. I, I like their gray, traditional gray pants with the powder blue helmet, white uniform on the road. They've got a nice color scheme all around. Got to give them credit for that. Yep. So I mentioned earlier that I didn't take the Browns over the Chargers. I'm glad I didn't because I failed to notice earlier that? today that Nick Chubb is out of the game. Yeah, um, that's, uh, that's a downer. Now, Kareem Hunt's not, completely capable. Uh, I mean, that's a very good two-back situation. But um, Chubb, obviously. Well, Kareem Hunt's also mispracticed this week. Now, if they're both in trouble, then the Browns are in uh, real trouble because they've got to run the football to, to have a chance yeah, of winning. Just, it's not just, like they can shift into pass mode. Right. And I, Kareem Hunt's got a wrist injury, I think. So it's not a lower body issue for running. It's just can he hang on to the football. Something to monitor uh, as you uh, begin to make your picks for the weekend as the Cardinals visit the Browns in one of the, the biggest matchups. Uh, another big matchup, the Titans and the Bills. Nissan Stadium the site from Monday Night Football. We'll peek ahead to Monday night's matchup when we return. Outkick 360 rolls on. Wrapping up the Friday edition. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. We made it. Ready for football, ready for kickoff. We may headed to a Friday night game across the state of Tennessee. Hopefully you stay dry this evening for high school football. Saturday slate looks great. We'll be in Athens, Georgia tomorrow morning. I'll kick the tailgate live. Myself, Chad Withrow, Clay Travis, Jill Savage, um, Paxton Elrod. Looking, looking forward to what should be a, a fun day 
in Georgia as they take on Kentucky. You can join the show as well. You can weigh in. Our poll questions are available at Outkick360 across the Twitter account. We've uh, posted two already. We'll have three that we'll feature tomorrow. Uh, Our third one of the show tomorrow, Alabama lost a regular season game in two of their last three title runs. They lost in 2015 and 2017, ended up winning the national title. Will they win it all this season despite their loss to Texas A&M? You can vote yes or no, and you can chime in on the other two poll questions as well. Follow us on Twitter at Outkick360. Uh, we go live tomorrow morning, Chad, on Broad Street from 9 a.m. Sauce House. From some place called Sauce House is where we'll be tomorrow, 9 a.m. to noon. So How many sauces do you think Sauce House has? I want them all in front of us the entire broadcast. I want uh, right in front of Jill Savage, Hutton, you, myself, just every Paxton sauce. Paxton will drink it, I'm sure. At Sauce House, I want displayed the entire time. Yep. I mean, if you're going to go Paul, by the name the Sauce under. House, you need you know, 50 different sauces. set the over-under at uh, 63 and a half. <laughs> it's a, just a little bit less than Tennessee Ole Miss. <laughs> yeah. Smaller over-under. The sauces at Sauce House or Tennessee and Ole I'll Miss. And I'll take the over. I think they'll have more than 64 sauces. I hope so. Reed is getting hungry over here this afternoon. We're talking about all the sauces. Yeah, I'm researching currently. <laughs> I also think it could be just a complete, uh, bluff and the sauce could be booze. Can you do you could know you, you, you do sauce. Booze. sauced at sauce? You go to a brewery. You can do it here at uh, at Sixth uh, and Peabody. But you get the flight of different beers. Can you get a flight of sauce? Can I try a flight? Can I go through the menu and say I want these six sauces to try? I've, I mean, they have at barbecue joints in town. You can help yourself to six different sauces. Let's try. I do it. I'm, looking try forward to, I'm looking forward to all the sauces. Looking forward to Monday night as well. Monday night football. On Monday's show, we will preview Titans and Bills. Uh, the best preview you're going to hear will be right here on Outkick 360 on game day. We'll, we'll review the football weekend as well, including what should be a, a, a solid NFL slate of games that will finish on Monday against the Titans and Bills, Paul, where the Titans are the home underdog. The Bills come in. With a top 10 offense, a top 10 defense, and not just that, they're, they're at the top of the league in those categories. This is quite the challenge for a banged-up Titans roster. Yeah, I bet the Bills also remember that game last year where they came here and I the Titans so. hadn't done anything for 16 days. They had a walkthrough and a practice <clears throat> during the first big COVID outbreak that uh, kind of put the league in a standstill Holding pattern for a while. Not a standstill, a holding pattern. Um, But it was a very awkward time. And then the Titans went out and found a way, uh, remarkably, to really put one on the Bills. Um, So I I don't imagine that sits well with the Bills, who are a better team right now. Titans banged up. Should have some guys coming off uh, off of injury and reemerging. Should, but you know, do they jump right in? You've talked about the importance of a fast start and how they haven't done that. Um, I think it's a big coaching game. You know, they need a much better script to come out and do things early. I don't put it past the Titans, who have risen to the occasion multiple times, including that game against Buffalo. But it's going to be difficult, and I think they're going to need more than Derrick Henry. And I, I think Buffalo could potentially. Find a way to slow him down a little bit. Is Avery Williamson just jumping straight in, and is he is he going to eventually replace Rashawn Evans in the run game because Evans can't stop the run anymore? I 
He's known as just being. A, they let him go because he was a uh, he was a uh, good in the run and not good against the pass. Well, but they, now, and now they let they him need... go because they had Jayon Brown, who was another mid round pick, who was even they, better than well, than Williamson was more diverse. And then they drafted Rashawn Evans. It's not like they didn't right. need uh, Avery Williamson. They drafted a guy they thought would be more versatile Look, than Avery they are, Williamson. They are all about being loyal to their guys right now. We talked yesterday about how bad Jeff Swaim is, yeah. and there's no indication that Jeff Swaim's getting replaced. I mean, for to start, Avery Williamson's depth because Jayon Brown's hurt and on IR. Monty Rice got hurt in this game and is on the injury report. But I don't see any indications, and maybe it's because Jayon Brown's been hurt, that that Rashawn Evans is on his way out, like completely out. There's still a role for him. He's really bad. <laughs> he's, he's a he central figure in the defense that made a lot of moves to get better, and he, he's a central figure in the reason it's not significantly better. Now, I don't know that Avery Williamson is a magical cure, but is Avery Williamson potentially better than Rashawn Evans? It's not that hard to be better than Rashawn Evans. Well, I just I, I look at what happened against Jacksonville. And it's not just Jacksonville, but most recently. And then the injuries play a factor in this, too. Um, but the, you know, Vrabel was asked about, hey, what do you think about Williamson? And he said, really good against the run. And a player that he watched whenever he took the job, he went. He, Williamson left in free agency the year Vrabel took the job, and their first pick was Rashawn Evans. But here's another example, Hutt. If – they drafted Monty Rice in the third round. They're in love oh, with Monty Rice. So if they need a new run guy who's going to replace Rashawn Evans, look at your own damn draft class. And here's another guy who's not ready yet who they were talking about. That's a great point. Last week they said, well, he's really figuring out things on special teams and the spatial stuff that you learn on special teams that, that helps you when you plug in and play linebacker. If they need a linebacker to replace Rashawn Evans – well, I figured this was a guy who was going to replace him next year. But if that process is accelerated, here's another guy that's not ready, and they're going to get Avery Williamson to plug the gap potentially. So yeah. here's yet another top three pick that you can't count on to go give you the help now. Chad loves that. Well, it's I mean, it's like they don't understand that you're allowed to play someone the rook, their rookie year and see. You saw something in drafting them that you really liked for Monty Rice in the third round. Well, let's go see it. I don't it's, – it's, it's very odd. You're right, Paul, and, and Monty Rice, he's such a non-factor. No one's even mentioning him in, in regards to what Rashawn Evans is struggling with. Rashawn Evans is, is really a symbol that we haven't hit on enough because we talk a lot about the guys that don't even play. Rashawn Evans came and, and got in the lineup and has never developed. He's actually regressed over his time. The four-year course for Rashawn Evans has really been a sad story for the Tennessee Titans. But it's the rare case of no development, but steady enough to never lose his job. Yeah. They never drafted over him. They never benched him. They didn't. I know they didn't pick up his option, but you, you know where I'm going here. It's not like they... They've been actively looking for Rashawn Evans' replacement. The guys that they drafted are more compared to Jayon Brown than they are Rashawn Evans. Right, but when they drafted Rashawn Evans, we said, oh, here's the time that comes. We've got a linebacker coach, and he's, he's going to show us that inside linebacker actually is way more important than this team has made it for a long time, and not just this thing where you could roll through mid-round draft picks or 
free agents off the street. We're going to see how important it is to, like it is to some other teams. What they've gotten is the same or worse play than they got from some of those other guys over the years. Uh, update. David Reed has the amount of sauces available oh, at Sauce House. I, sh- I should have put big. some money down. Yeah, what was your guess again, Paul? 63 and a half was my over-under, and I took the over. Okay, you were close. Yeah. It's nine. <laughs> <laughs> you can't name yourself Sauce House. We were all And off. have nine oh. sauces. This is a terrible job of naming the property. I'm going to rename it. I don't, I don't even want to go there anymore. Sauce. I want to go somewhere else. Sauce House, my ass. That, sauce, that, that barbecue better be so damn good. It covers up. Join us tomorrow. Join us Monday. Thanks for joining us today on Outkick 360. Happy birthday, Simon Kuharski. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks.